encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. Welcome listeners to the Busby Bay Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Davis, joined by Nathan Heinschel and Polly Questel. And uh, first points of the season. We got them. Well done, boys. Big points. Yeah. Big points. Three of them. We're above Liverpool now. 14th. We're really climbing. It was, a, it, it was truly a very We moved up six places. You know, if we move match up for our relegation scrap. If yeah, we move up another, if we move up another six places, we'll be knocking on Europe's door. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, I mean, if we win this weekend, we'll have twice as many points as we had on Sunday. And it puts us right back in the title race, depending on who you think the um, title favorite is. If you believe it's Manchester City, then we're only what. Uh, four points behind them and we still play them twice. So just beat them twice. And then all you have to do is match their results the rest of the way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if we win all of our games for the rest of the season, I think we've got a pretty sh- good shot at the title. We don't even have to win all the games. We just have to beat city twice and match results the rest of the way. And possibly if Arsenal are, the, are for real, then beat Arsenal twice and then get one better result than Arsenal. The, yeah. the real challenge, though, is, um, you know, we're going to have to go toe to toe eventually with Jesse Marsh's Invincibles. Um, oh, yeah. Um, update. Nathan is a Leeds fan now. So <laughs> when when Manchester United play Leeds, we'll have special guest Nathan Heinchel pop in yeah. as the, the Leeds perspective there. I can't wait to talk about my son Daniel again. Daniel James and U.S. nationalism really pulling Nathan into the leads, the leads camp here. Yeah, but if you follow me on Twitter, you would have seen my my very uh, anti-capitalistic tweets this morning. So trust me, I'm not full-blooded American. Yeah, there we go. Premier League American. Is that like a anyway? We beat Liverpool two one. Um, we'll we'll get into the tactics of it a little bit more, but first off, the vibe. Um, Nathan, how how drastic of a change did the vibe go from, you know, pre-match to post-match? Well, as you know, I'm a big believer in XV, and I feel like the XV right now is through the roof. Um, we started off in the best possible way, and, and you know, we saw that it was effective last year. Eric Ten Hag, you know, pulling something out of the Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer handbook, you know introduce your top Real Madrid signing right before a big game and then go into that game. So it was massive. You know, we show off Casemiro. He looked like he was having a fun time at Old Trafford. Um, Playing Liverpool, it's a game that, I mean, it's sad to say that the third game of the season was must win, but or at the very least must take points, uh, especially with it being Liverpool and all the things that are entitled or entail in that game. So that was super important. On top of that, and the most important part for the XV, Jaden Sancho embarrasses Virgil van Dyke and turns him into a meme. That was huge. I think, I mean, the XV on that was 
And then and James Milner seconds before embarrassing Virgil Van Dyke. No, it, it's exactly. it's so crazy so to got see him with the pump fake and then. Yeah. It's it's so crazy to see all the accounts that have been having a field day with by just taking one still shot out of context for United doing all that for for the game last night, which you expected. And it was all on Liverpool. It was all on Virgil van Dyke. It was all on Milner yelling at van Dyke. And um, I was talking with my friend who was a Liverpool fan and not to change this to make it tactical and everything. But he was talking about how van Dyke has just been painful this season, three games this season, but ask any Liverpool fan, they're going to tell you their biggest concern right now is the, they don't really have a midfield, even though we would kill for that midfield um, and the technical ability that those players have, but they're all injured. They're, they're all getting up there in age and their legs are going and look, look at what happens when you have no midfield. Suddenly your world record defender or at one time world record signing defender is made to look average. Funny Wait, how that. Are you works. talking about the 21-22 Manchester United team, or are you talking about Liverpool? <laughs> exactly. What, what's funny uh, though is like Virgil was also the only defender in position, like in his position at that point. And I mean, we can. Get well, yeah, he, he like. What do you expect him to do? Yeah, because like, what do you expect him to do? Is is in a split second he can maybe decide to charge out, but that's about as much as he can do in that. And and it was it was a fantastic fake, which is why Allison dove one way and Milner went sliding in, and you take that still shot of when at like this is why the internet is so dumb because you just take a still shot which looks hilarious, and um it it's just Allison. Bought the fake. Okay, that that's bad. It, but but that happens. Like Allison's probably gonna buy like two out of a hundred fakes. It or if he buys two out of a hundred fakes, like if you're a Liverpool fan, you can live with that. If my goalie reacts like that, two percent of the time, this just happened to be one of the two percent. And on the other side, Milner also comes sliding in, and, and then Van Dyke is, yeah. This all happens so quickly. Like if Van Dyke charges at Sancho, he's not getting there in time. Like that—that's you positioned yourself in this scenario, and like you were—you were there guarding the middle as center back should. And Sancho did went. Oh, there's a lot of space by the penalty area. I'm just gonna go there, and he found a pocket of space. And like when you find a pocket of—that's the whole thing. Is like the reason it worked is because Rashford had all this time to look up and not get the ball and go, oh, I just need to pound this across the six. He has time and room to look up. So therefore, Sancho can go and find the space and Rashford could play that pass. If Van, if Van Dyke had gone out to the penalty area, Sancho just goes to the, across the six-yard box and Rashford plays it there. Like, the, like Nathan said, these are things that, that you could say this describing last year's United team because these were things that people always would say, like, why is he over there when, he sh- when the ball went over there? And it's like, because... The attacker recognized where the defender was and just went to where the defender wasn't. And if the defender goes to where the attacker went, the attacker would have went to where the defender actually stood. And it, yeah, it, yeah they made Van Dyke look stupid, but it it, it was a process. That's what that, happens? <laughs> it was a process that like led to that moment. Uh, JJ Bull of uh, the Athletic did a good video. Uh, Tifa have been putting out videos uh, right after Premier League matches, kind of explaining how the goals happen and things like that. They're pretty cool. But J.J. Bull did a good job pointing out how Virgil van Dyke's kind of left alone in his position because the build-up play of Manchester United focusing down the left had already drawn out 
um, Joe Gomez. And he was, you know, kind of in the periphery of that meme, kind of trying to run back into position by the time, you know, the goal is happening. But um, Nathan, back to the vibes. Um, I mean, this was only well, yeah. the, fr- the first goal to talk about, right? Well, to, to kind of finish up the point on the vibes, too, you know, we, we always hear the phrase putting a, another player on skates when you fake him out. Uh, Virgil van Dyke put himself in a position where he could be memed into looking like a speed skater. So, like, just Remy from Ratatouille couldn't have cooked up anything better. Um, so we fast forward, and this is when the XV really starts cooking, really gets crispy. I don't know how many more cooking metaphors I'm going to make. I, I, I'm inspired by Casey and the soup from uh, last week. But um, Martial comes on to start the second half. And shortly after, Martial assists a Marcus Rashford sublime finish. Second Perfect. touch. I mean, it's just unbelievable ollie ball. Like, it, I really felt like it was 2000. It was Project Restart again in that moment. And it was something glorious to behold. Um, I mean, first of all, just the influence of Martial was important. Uh, being in the position to make that pass and get Rashford into a position where he's going to be one-on-one. And that's a finish we haven't seen Rashford score, I think, in a very long time. And I think the celebration that Rashford had after scoring that really kind of confirms that he'd been searching for something like that, too. Uh, to have the confidence to place the shot where he did, where he probably, you know, maybe the safer angle would have been to try and go for the far post, but he knew he could s- sneak it in past Allison and go for the near post uh, in transition with, like, I mean, he put a lot of pace on that ball. And the, the goal's amazing. And <laughs> the celebration's even better, picking up the uh, the flag and, and chucking it. And Bruno trying to come in for a hug and kind of bouncing off of Rashford because Rashford's like, I got to go see my guy, Tony, uh, for feeding me that ball. And then... You know who was involved uh, in Rashford's last goal? It was Cavani, right? It was the West Ham goal? It was the West Ham goal, but who started that? that I think it was Ronaldo got it to Martial who laid it off to Cavani. Yeah, that's crazy too. The the amount of like center forwards that we had <laughs> on the field at the same yeah. time. But even like uh, the video that they shared of the celebration felt like almost like a like for like recreation of the the Cavani the, yeah, the West Cavani. Ham celebration that we tweeted out back in January. Our, our most viral tweet that Polly wrote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what did I say again? I do remember that, it, but what is you, something you put, about being you know was like he's celebrating United the goal like it's his own like that? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah Cavani. Uh, it's like Ronaldo wouldn't celebrate an assist like that. Not like Cavani would, no. but uh proper red. Um, and then I think what was most important about that goal is all of a sudden Rashford was like, huh, I've dusted off the cobwebs. What are, what other cool things uh, can I remember how to do? Cause he was on it. Uh, he had that one knuckleball that he hit that maybe if he was two feet further back when he took that shot, it's beating Allison and it's going in. Like he really looked like he, He's like, I'm going to get a brace. I'm going to get a hat trick. Like, I'm on one now. This is this is United Liverpool, and we spell blood. And I I thought he looked fantastic in the game. Marcy. Oh, he should have scored it. He should have scored the 90th minute when Bruno played him in. Yeah. So. Like uh, Bruno's I, numbers I, too. Bruno's numbers too shoot up when Martial plays. Yeah. Well, and I we'll get to it too. One player not having a good XV game was Bruno Fernandez. I think during that one he. I I think we'll get into it later on in the podcast. Did you say he wasn't? Bruno? 
I thought he had a weird one. I don't I don't know if he had like a bad game, but I thought he had a weird game. I thought his energy was like, especially in the first half, was like really crucial to United setting the tone for the rest of the game. And I mean, he set up that chance for Alanga that should have been an assist. Um, I thought Alanga was kind of unfortunate not to score that one, but I mean, I, I yeah, thought that, that Alanga shot too. Was really here's nice. the thing about Bruno. Here's the thing about Bruno is he's so good. Yeah, we don't talk about him. Is his his value is in the creation and everything, and we saw that in the first half. He plays Rashford in three minutes into the game, and Rashford just missed the chance. And I think he plays Rashford in again uh, a few minutes later, and Rashford gets gets fouled. And like um, like Colin just said, he he set up that a longer chance. The goal start the goal starts when Sancho starts bringing the ball out, but then Sancho. St- plays it square from about the halfway line to Bruno, who first touch just plays Rashford in behind. That's how United get it deep. Bruno's at his best when he's further up. Like he's a number 10. He is someone that plays off the, off the shoulder of the striker. He's going to score goals when he makes late runs into the box. And when in those games where he stays high up the pitch are going to be his best games. That's those are the games where like he'll complete 72% of his passes and everybody will be like, Bruno was great. Then there's game. And part of the reason that he doesn't perform against the, the, the big clubs, the, the whole thing, the knock on him is he doesn't perform in the big games is he's a volume chance creator, volume creator. And he's not getting that kind of volume in those games, but also because United are pinned much further back when he's getting on the ball, it's not as close to goal and whatnot. Then as what's been happening really since Ralph Ragnick came in and to a degree in the first two matches under Eric Tenog is because United are playing with a single pivot in midfield and they, and that single pivot has been, whether it's been McTominay or Fred or Christian Eriksen, has been unable to get the ball forward. Bruno Fernandez is dropping deeper to get the ball. He's dropping deeper into midfield. And it's been much more of a, of a three-man midfield than a double pivot and a number 10. And when he does that, he actually completes a lot more of his passes. He gives the ball away way less. He'll complete like 82, 83% of his passes. He's not giving the ball away, but it's much more passive. He's not doing any of the creation stuff because he's not getting the ball uh in that advanced area, the way he does when he's number 10. And then everybody goes, he's playing like he's playing terrible. And, and they, they focus on one bad decision that he makes, or, you know, there's always going to be bad decisions with Bruno Fernandez. That's the way he plays. When he gets the ball, he has one thing in his mind and that's go. Um, and, Including when he's three yards out from his own goal. <laughs> Although that, right. that was clearly like, a miss hit. Right. But it's like Kevin De Bruyne has the same funk. Like we've, it's been mentioned before. Like if you go back to that season in Germany where he just got the ball and he went every time I get the ball, I'm just going to, I'm just going to kick it forward. And my guys are going to run onto it. And he's like, and he racked up a ton of assists that year by giving the ball away a ton. And nobody leads the league. Nobody gives the ball away more per 90 than Kevin De Bruyne. He just plays for a team that gets it back so quickly. Um, so in this match, obviously, so Bruno starts out well in the first half when United are pushed up much higher and then as the game progresses he's just dropping deep he took he had a higher percentage of his touches came deep came in the in his own third than i've seen in a long time but i thought like colin said his energy was so top notch and he was leading the way and it was it was part of the 
it didn't look like he was pinned back so much as he was partaking in this all 10 men are going to work their ass off off the ball and defend this lead that we have. And, oh, um, Malasia got dragged out. And now Erickson is pulling over to fill in for him. I'm going to make sure that I get into Erickson's position and, and get back and cover that spot. And I thought that definitely came through. But then there were there were other aspects like you're wearing the armband. You got a yellow card for a horrific dive. And then however many minutes later, you're shithousing after Liverpool score a goal, flopping, taking a terrible flop right in front of the referee and just getting like in any other scenario, you're getting booked. The only thing that saved you was that Michael Oliver went, you've already been booked once and I'm going to have some sort of leniency on you. And like, these are the things that make me be like, he, he can't be the captain. This happened last year where he got the armband and got booked for dissent and got suspended the next match. And it's like, how do you do this as the captain? Like you, you have to be able to control yourself. So in, in that regard, there was some negatives to his performance, but the rest of it, I, um, I thought was fantastic. Yeah. When, when I say Bruno had a weird one, um, it's kind of in relation to, to the, uh, chat that we were having in our Slack channel, which obviously listeners wouldn't necessarily be privy to, but you know, the, the loan move is, has gone through Eric Bailly is, is going, uh, on loan. And so, you know, it's like, do we still have the out of context, uh, Eric Bailly account? And, you know, yesterday was kind of like, it, it seemed like Bruno kind of had a Bailly game where it was like, had a couple of really weird moments, nearly scored on his own goal, but otherwise had an okay game. If you like take out those pretty, uh, you know, visible moments of like, what are you doing, bro? Um, so, you know, maybe Bruno is the new buy. But that, trying to that goal, that like attempted clearance is definitely buy vibes. Um, that was tough. That was like no. really tough. If there's a no context Bruno out there, the, uh, yeah, he that own goal was the own goal was painful. But then yeah, he, hey, that's why you have a man on the back post. That's what, that's what I've been saying this whole time. Uh, yeah, he got on the back post. He played in Martial. He played in Martial in the 90th minute, which should have been an assist. Uh, I guess he played Ronaldo in in like the very last minute, which Ten Hag got mad at him about. Um, oh yeah, when he didn't dribble it to the corner, I was like, what are you doing, bro? Was that when Ronaldo like fired it? Like no, no, that was like was right after. Earlier? No, that was like right after Ronaldo came on. All right. Yeah. Um, I, but to kind of finish up the XV conversation, I think I think the cherry on top has been uh, things like Jurgen Klopp saying that they should have won, and then kind of the fallout of the match and of uh, you know just kind of listening to the, the analysis of the game and things like that. Um, a lot of people frustrated that like Fabinho didn't play, and so there's been a I've seen a lot of excuses on Twitter that, you know, mirrored the ones that we made last year. And people were like, well, Manchester United spent a billion dollars on the squad. This team should be good enough. And you can't, you know, make these excuses. And then I see Liverpool have a game that they play poorly against a rival. And maybe the manager didn't get the perfect uh, lineup out. And they've kind of been softballed a little bit. I don't feel like they're getting the fan base is upset, but like, punditry wise like oh well how does this just affect 
Liverpool's title race, not like, you know, how did Klopp screw this one up when like United was dead in the water uh, coming into this game? Uh, by all intent, per, intents and purposes, people were like writing our funeral rites heading into this Liverpool game. And then, you know, Klopp's got to sit there and do damage control in the, in the media. Like it feels pretty good to watch that. So XV. Yeah, but it's, it's, good nice right that, now. it's nice that Klopp didn't come out with a bunch of excuses. Like he always, like he normally does. She came out and said, like said a bunch of things that like, we should have won this game. And you know what? I don't necessarily disagree with Jurgen Klopp. I mean, I don't either, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the thing we were incredibly United came out with such energy and this determination and because Ten Hag ran 14 kilometers. Right. To me, the to me, the first 10 minutes of this match was United's energy and doggedness was very much masking the the technical difference between the sides. And and then Liverpool kind of got a little bit rattled. And but then over the from like 30 minutes to halftime, Liverpool really settled into the match and and then they never fully got there in the second half. But like that's the thing is that Liverpool were exceptionally bad. Like United weren't particularly great. They just played with a a shit ton of energy that made it seem much better than it was. United had 31% Our whole team played like McTominay. Yeah, basically. United had 31% possession in this match. They have not had 31% possession. They've they've did that 31% or less. They did it twice last year. Um, in uh, it was against Manchester City under Ralph Ragnick and against Liverpool under Ralph Ragnick, which were both just games where they were played off the pitch. They didn't have 31% possession because not because the they had a lead and the opponent was taking it to them, but because they literally couldn't even get into the match. The last time they had less than that was the 3-1 win against Arsenal under Mourinho. Like they they weren't playing with the ball. They weren't they weren't controlling the ball. They were. They they were far from perfect, and they gave Liverpool plenty of op, like opportunities. At Liverpool, just were not good at all. It, it this was a better performance and a more deserved victory than the four nil Shanghai World Trophy whatever match that we saw in July, where Liverpool actually like just straight up missed a bunch of sitters. They didn't have as many good chances, and credit to United for that. They did not. They Liverpool got into the box with relative ease and United still gave them nothing. Um, like Mohamed Salah found himself in space in the box plenty of times. Lissandro Martinez would just close him right down, not let him get a clear shot. But this, like, if Liverpool were decent on the day, I think they win that match. I think it's interesting you bring up Ralph Ragnick because I was, uh, maybe we can just pivot into the tactics talk now. So I sent the the phrase Ollie ball two about five different people yesterday. Um, you talked a little bit earlier about how you thought it was reminiscent of some Mourinho games. I actually like going back and looking at it a little bit more. It kind of feels like this was the kind of game that we would see often under Ralph Ragnick, except we actually like scored at the start. And in the second half, when we kind of faded away, we had the lead to sit on. So they did a lot of the things that, you know, 
we tried to do under Ralph Ragnick, where, you know, there's a really high energy start. You try to maintain that tempo throughout the first half, create chances. Uh, the main difference, of course, being that we actually created good chances and scored them. Um, two out of the three chances, the really good chances. And then in the second half, you know, as the game kind of unwound, uh, we saw some of the weaknesses that usually happen when we play some of these better teams, but we also saw really good organization. Uh, we saw really good, you know, fight through the end. Uh, this just seemed like a team that backed its manager, which is probably the main difference between this team and the Ralph Rangnick team. But yeah, those were, that was just something I wanted to bring up. I disagree with it. Okay. I just, the only game that comes to mind where they did that under Ragnick was the, was the crystal palace match. His first one. There was, there was no other game where they pressed with that kind of ferocity. And the, um, the, the matches against the big teams where they sat, where they, they sort of tried, I guess. I don't even, I don't know what the hell they tried to do at Anfield at, at the Etihad. I, sort of got what they were trying to do of like, we are trying to sit back and hit you on the counter, except Ragnick didn't seem to know how to coach that. That was um, also which, kind of, that was, by then it was like the end of whatever Ragnick was trying to do. It was just like things had given way. Yeah. You know, I, you know at no I mean? point, at no point was I, was I, um was I reminiscent of the Ragnick. I, I understood all the, the Solstar comparisons of they set up in a mid in a in a mid block in a mid block not press but like i call it the three four court trap where you're you're trying to create space in behind you which means you don't want to press them at their at their box because if you win the ball there then you're you, don't, you there's no room to run behind and this was like the staple of solshar against city at the etihad um in 2019 or even when they've not in the big games, but like for the first half of the 2020, the COVID season, whereas, you know, they still were able to in the second half of games, get Rashford in behind. And they did that by basically being like, we're not going to press you. We're going to let you bring the ball up to close to the halfway line. And that's when we're going to launch and spring traps on you. And that's how they started the match. It, it looked a lot like um, I talked, I spoke to Sawade this morning and he brought up the, the match against, um, Mourinho's Tottenham at Old Trafford. It was very similar to that one. So I get I get the Solskjaer comparisons. I, as I rewatched this match, I was like, this is a this has a lot of hints of Mourinho. In that, ultimately by the by the second half of it, United were just planted in their own box and just defending for dear life. And that was their their game plan from the start. There was no more. Um, there was no more. Let's play out from the back. There was David De Gea. You have a goal kick. You're going to woof that thing long. I don't care if it goes out of play. Like the seventh minute, he took one where he just kicked it and went over the halfway line and went right out of bounds. No one touched it. Um, the I do defenders. Think part of that, too, was also that, uh, and maybe we'll use this to kind of pivot into the Casemiro talk, but Christian Eriksen, who was really an important worker in this game, uh, had zero energy. By, yeah. What, like an and, hour and that's a whole... Game that's a whole different concern for a whole bunch of different reasons. Like, but the defenders, their, their plan was, we're just, we're just going to clear this ball away. It was just get it away, which was very Mourinho. That's why, 
That's why he liked Eric Bai. That's why he liked Chris Smalling. Um, because neither, like, that's why when Solskjaer came in, he was like, Smalling can, can go because he can't play with the ball at his feet. He's just a player that he can defend and he can clear it away. Uh, that's why that's why Mourinho liked Axel Tonzebi because that's what he did. And you know, like that's, that's why Tonzebi never really got chances under Solskjaer's because he was a guy who defended and just hoofed it away and then said, OK, come come at me again and I'm going to defend again. And that was the plan, which is why Maguire was dropping the team, because if your plan is to have to, to just kick it away and not try to maintain any semblance of control then why would you put in a defender whose best attributes are his ability in the air against a team that doesn't really whip in? I mean, Liverpool actually do whip in a ton of crosses, but like they're not oversized. They're not the big physical bullies the way that some other teams further down the table might be. And on ball, Maguire's best attributes are on ball. If you don't want your defenders to be playing with the ball at their feet, why not bring in the guys who are, who, can't play with the ball at their feet, but are very good defenders. So Ferran comes in naturally, uh, like very logical selection there. And, but is it, that was Mourinho. Like even when Solskjaer sat back and said, we're going to hit you on the counter. He wanted the team to have some sort of semblance of slow things down, get control, play out the back. Um, there, I, I remember this, situation in the league cup against city where like Maguire was dribbling around for a, a while in his own box as he just looked for an outlet. And finally he was able to find Shaw who was able to find like work it with Fred and Brandon Williams and United were able to get an attack going. And it's, it's doing things like that, which give your defenders a break instead of just hoof it away, let them get a throw in and now, and now defend it again. And that's partially why, under Solskjaer, United never had a game where they only had 31% possession because the defenders, instead of just get it away, it was first look for a pass. And there were games where he cut the midfield out and it was, let's go from the center backs to the full backs, full backs, go straight to the forwards. Don't, don't go midfield, but it was never to this level of just hoof it away the way that they played under Mourinho. So yeah, I thought, especially by the second half, that game had a lot of Mourinho attributes to it. Do we feel then uh, with the addition to, of uh, Casemiro to this side, um, Maguire's a center back that Eric Tenag will want to see play with Casemiro, and especially in games where they're going to have more possession like the coming weekend. Obviously, he'll only have four days of training before that, but this is a game where you can expect United to gain territory pretty early on. And maybe he'll want to see what his players can do when they have to break down an opponent. Uh, do we think that this is a game where Maguire comes back into it? Or do we think that maybe he's going to ride it out with his back four for a little while? Hundo P he's going to want to see Maguire playing with Casemiro for a variety of reasons. At the, will Maguire play this week is going to be very interesting because it's hard to drop any of it, it, that's this is going to be the big test for Ten Hag. He mm-hmm. he everybody said it was a big statement that he dropped Maguire, dropped Ronaldo to his to a degree, um to a degree, dropped O'Shaw. Now it's a question of are you willing to drop players 
who, like, Anthony Longo doesn't deserve to be dropped. He's going to be dropped. Anthony Martial is going to start this match. Um, Christian Eriksen probably should be rested in this match. So it's, it's a chance for Tenog to sit there and go, I'm not dropping you. I'm not, I'm just not picking you because this guy fits this match better. And I, you know, you were a good fit for Liverpool and we have Arsenal next week and you're a good fit for that. So you're going to be playing there, but Southampton, not as much of a fit. Will he pick, will he do that with Maguire and Veron? I don't know, but I wouldn't be shocked if he did. The thing about Casemiro is, as Suedas told us in the Slack channel of if you're planning on doing this build out, this play from the back thing where you're going to have your midfielder dropping with his back to goal, Casemiro is not going to help you there. And if you look at how Real Madrid used him in build up, suddenly Tony Cruz and Luka Modric were playing as a double pivot and Casemiro was lined up as the number 10. Like they got him away from that. So if you want to use Casemiro on the pitch, you're probably going to need your center backs to handle the ball progression for him, which means Lissandro Martinez means Harry Maguire. And in front of him, you're going to have Casemiro now doing a lot more defending and a lot more protecting of Maguire that's going to help him out defensively. Like, if you remember, like, why Maguire's stock was so high at Leicester, it's because he played behind Wilfred and Didi. And now you're you're getting a Wilfred and Didi on steroids in front of you. So as long as Casemiro is staying healthy, that's a that's a relationship to have Maguire and Casemiro, especially in, in games where, as Colin, you said, you should have a lot of the ball and you should have a lot of the territory. Like you're playing to Maguire's strengths, you're playing, you're hiding his deficiencies. Uh, you still need to get a better goalkeeper than David De Gea, but that's probably going to be where you would want to see him. Um, so you mentioned that, and I'm now pulling up Casemiro's injury history because, um, yep, no major injuries. Um, he had a fracture back in 2016. Other than that, it's just been muscular problems, which, you know, when you get older, that's what happens. But um, in general, guys, uh, I mean, we didn't really talk more about it than the rumor the last time we recorded. Um, Nathan, I guess we'll start with you. What's just the kind of how, how do you feel about this transfer now after the Liverpool game where things are a little bit less dire in general? I mean, I don't, I don't hate the signing. I think it makes sense. It's something that we've been asking for. Um, you know, I made a joke in our group chat with Carl Anka this morning that it was a, but a nice, maybe we signed Casemiro when we still had Paul Pogba. Um, Cause that's kind of what we were pining for when we had Paul Pogba. Like we've, we've done everything in reverse. We let Paul leave. And then we brought in the guy that would have allowed, you know, Paul hopefully to freelance to do it. The things that we know Paul Pogba can do. Um, and so we, you're looking at it like, well, Casemiro, we're spending so much money on him. The expectation is going to be that he needs to play a lot of the games. Um, and on top of that, you know, right now, the player that's probably going to compliment him the most and kind of, you know, make up for his deficiencies while Casemiro makes up for the other players' deficiencies is Christian Eriksen. And I think we got to put Christian Eriksen on the same 
same timelines as Nemanja Matic, um, which is something that Pauly's been talking about for forever. And I think we saw it at the end of yesterday's game. Like Erickson's just going to get gassed. I mean, it, not even if you take away the elephant in the room about Christian Erickson, he's still like 31. So um, at some point you just get tired, you know, and like your body doesn't recover at the same rate as a 24 year old, a 25 year old. Um, so now I'm projecting because I'm the same age as Christian Erickson. I'm not even nearly in the same shape as he is. Um, so the Casemiro signing, I feel okay about it. I'd say it's like if we were to put an American grade on it, maybe a CSC plus because it still feels like we, we definitely spent too much money. We're tying ourselves to a player that could fall off of a cliff pretty quick. Uh, and we're going to put ourselves in a situation where if he does fall off a cliff, we're stuck with him or we're loaning him out and we're paying for most of his wages because we've paid him enough money to get him to want to leave Real Madrid that if all of a sudden he can't play for United, he's not really going to be able to play for anybody else. Now, I would shift my grade, by, you know, at the end of the season, if we bring in a, a partner for him, a proper partner that is a ball carrying center back, someone who makes really good progressive passes. Um, and somebody who can match Casemiro's energy and maybe cover up a little bit for Casemiro. So that way Casemiro isn't putting himself in dire situations where he's flirting with the red card. Uh, Cause we know he's got that in him and he's been lucky at, at Real Madrid not to probably be suspended for more games. He's He's got that dog in him. He does have that dog in him to the point where it's like, he needs a rabies shot sometimes. Um, so I, I, I think it, it's a positive signing. It's certainly, for the amount of money that was spent, it's one of those like flag in the ground signings. Like, see, we're supporting Eric Ten Hag. And, you know, if you want to be cynical about it, it definitely looks like the Glazers trying to tell everybody like, cool, we made a signing. Shut up now. Um, but there's an opportunity that there is there's some foundational pieces to a spine. You've got Casemiro. Uh, if you rate McGuire, then you got McGuire. If you rate Varane, you got Varane. Um, Martinez looks like he's going to come pretty OK. Uh, for Eric Ten Hag, uh, so if he can if he can get that midfield partner for Casemiro, you know there's still the talk that it looks like Anthony is going to happen. They just got to write the right check. Um, they, it's a good potentially foundational piece. I'd say yeah. I, I'd say I feel good saying like a C plus right now, and I'm open to saying that it's a better signing later on if we get the right pieces for him. Yeah, it's just hard it's, to think about it in the context without the the five year contract. And it's a signing that has to work and it has yeah. to work because it's, it's a signing. Like what do we need a player like him? Absolutely. He fills a need, makes us better. hundred percent. He is 30 we had years a 26 old. year old version of him. He is 30 years old. Like we just signed in 2017. We signed a 28 year old Nemanja Matic who came into the team. We spent 40 million on him. He came into the team and right away you could see night and day different. Nemanja Matic made us so much better. And then a year, but there were already concerns like, wait, last year he looked like a shell of himself because Mourinho overused him two years ago. And then Mourinho ran him into the ground again in 2019. Kind of, I mean, Conte got him help in terms of N'Golo Kante, but he would still play a lot of games. A year later, he looked like he looked a shadow of himself until Ali came in and then he discovered the fountain of youth and then he got hurt. And the year after that, he basically wasn't playing until... January and by project restart, it was like, Oh dude, this guy's legs are done. And it was like, all right, three years later, we're already like, we need a new, a new one of these, which we didn't get until just now. So 
at 30 years old, you have like there's so much data out there that it goes, oh, you're probably going your legs are probably going to go. And anybody who sits there and says, well, Tony Cruz is 30 something and Luka Modric is 37. And it's like, yeah, players who get by on technical ability and their brains can can work themselves into new positions. Um, and like Wayne Rooney was able to play as a midfielder when his legs were completely shot because he had that passing ability. And Paul Scholes was able to do the same. And Ryan Giggs became a midfielder because he had that that technical ability and Modric and Cruz the same way, but also because they have a guy like Casemiro to do all the running for them and to do that, that dog stuff. Casemiro, well, look how, Casemiro. how more willing Real Madrid is to refresh that midfield if they need to. They bust. The fact, they keep the buying fact, midfielders. Yeah. The fact that uh, I saw a tweet yesterday that said the Casemiro deal was done in a few days. So it's like deals can get done quickly if the bosses sign off on it. I'm like, yeah, that and the fact that like we called up Real Madrid and they're like, absolutely, we'll sell him. Like they were the fact they're so willing to sell him is a, is a sign because this is a player with a lot of miles on his legs. He has played a lot of football in La Liga. He has played a lot of Champions League matches. He has played a lot of international matches. He happens to be from a part of the world where it's about a 12 hour flight to go from his club games to his international games. That travel does take a toll on you. Um, and at 30, how many good years does he have left? And the answer is probably two, maybe three, maybe four. Like if you get four good years out of Casemiro, that's unbelievable. But statistically speaking, odds are you're not going to. And everybody who everybody's been saying, oh, there's other players that are old. Jordan Henderson's old. Tiago's old. Liverpool signed Tiago. Yeah. What has that done? Tiago's been injured every year. He's, he's had an injury history. And right now, Liverpool's complaints are we don't have a midfield. Their legs are going. They're too old. But there is also a huge difference. This is the whole, the whole Kevin De Bruyne argument. There's a huge difference between signing a, giving a player on your team a new contract and and paying money to sign a 30 year old player to come to your team. Kevin De Bruyne played 24 and a half 90s last year. It's just over half a season. He played 22.2 the year before that. Like you are probably not going to get the level of production that you got three, two years ago, three years ago from Kevin De Bruyne anymore. If I were Manchester city, I would 100% give him a new contract because, Hey, if you could play half a season or a little bit more and give me most of that, that's great. And I'll overpay for that a bit because it evens out from all those years where you were probably underpaid and you were performing for me. What United are wait when you go and pay a transfer fee right now, if, if someone were to pay sixty million for Kevin De Bruyne, they would basically this is basically what happened with Raheem Sterling. You're basically paying Manchester City for you're you're giving them a monetary reward for the good years that De Bruyne had. You're basically paying them for the production that he gave them. And then he's gonna give you less production. And like that's what it comes down to is is sure I I could pay you a little bit more because I paid you less when you were producing for me, but now I'm going to pay some, like you're paying a fee to someone else to prop when they gave, they provided that club the best years of their career. And it's going to be very hard to argue that Casemiro didn't give Real Madrid the best years of his career. 
mostly because he's a defensive midfielder and it's hard to prove that, but because like, even if he's, even if he's good, you know, like even if, if you go from scoring, from scoring 10 goals a year to scoring nine goals a year, you're still good. 10 was better. Like you're pro you're paying Real Madrid. Now you, that's why Real Madrid were so eager to, to get rid of him. They're like, sure, you'll, you'll give us money. And when this guy is on his way out, like the best clubs always know it's better to sell a player a year too early than a year too late. And the, the well-run clubs are very good at pulling the trigger a year too early. This is like, I mean, a couple things, just it, one, it was kind of funny that, I mean, we saw a lot of belligerent United fans on Twitter being all like, Oh, only people are only being critical of this move because it's Manchester United making it like, it's because well-run clubs don't make these moves. <laughs> <laughs> it's the move that only Manchester United makes. This is like this is like FIFA mentality because in a vacuum, this signing makes so much sense. Like, yeah, if you're starting a FIFA career mode and you're like, I want the best center defensive midfielder in the game, you're gonna you're gonna pay 80 million for Casemiro. And like, yeah, that that makes sense. If you're a club that is starting yet another project with a yet another manager who you know, for most of the summer wanted somebody who was ideally entering their prime still mid twenties. You get him a 30 year old midfielder who is the best football he's played is behind him. That has to be taken into context when evaluating this signing. And well, and on top of that too, Casemiro and Frankie are different players. Yes. I mean, yeah, that's, that's yeah. We, uh, like you said, in your analysis, we still need that ball carrying midfielder who can, go from point A to point B who can cover the ball magically transitions from one side of the pitch to another part of the pitch map. I, I think the way we, we call the signing a success, if you go on the timeline that, that Polly's outlined, you know, we have overpaid Casemiro. And I think that's a bona fide fact, even if this goes the best possible way, like we've spent too much money for Casemiro. But we're in a situation where Manchester United has to overpay for every single player that they want. One, because, you know, we quote unquote still got the money. And two, nobody wants to come play for us right now unless the money's right. Um, and in some cases, they're like, whatever, I'll just take the pay cut so I can stay in um, Barcelona. So when you're what we have, when you're we on a this might be your last chance at a payday, you yeah. do not want to be the club giving them the payday. <laughs> Yeah, so for this signing to work, if you look at it based on the, the timeline that Polly outlined, we have to be in a drastically better situation in two years for when we have to start phasing out Casemiro or we have to start having somebody pick up the slack of Casemiro. So then that's one of those questions that you ask. Okay, so who is the understudy to Casemiro? How are we going to make this signing work? So that way it doesn't feel like, oh, man, I can't believe we spent that much on Casemiro because it's like, all right, cool. Well, for example, James Garner is a better midfielder because he played underneath Casemiro, watched him play, and got prepared to take over Casemiro's role in the system. And he plugs and plays, and we don't miss a beat. And that's a player we didn't, you know, we paid development costs on, but we didn't pay a transfer fee. Or who's the 23-year-old that you're looking that you snipe up for $5 million or 5 million euros or whatever? And then that person gets prepared to take over Casemiro's role in two to three years. So um, it, th that's where we're at right now. It's like, what are all the external factors that are going to make this Casemiro signing make sense? Because right that's, now, 
it's a stopgap buy that we we paid a lot of money to stop the bleeding is what we've done. So I hope it works out. I want it to work out. Casemiro seems like a fine player. I'm excited to have him on my ultimate team. Uh, so as we we keep making the jokes that like whoever's running United must be a FIFA player because they just keep making signings that are great for FIFA, i.e. Alex Tellez. Um, so. No, Nathan's Nathan's 100% right. Is if you just sign Casemiro, it be, it it becomes a very questionable deal that's very difficult to wage if it's successful. You need to sign another midfielder now. And that and that can go in one of two ways. You can go in one way of saying we need to sign that perfect partner for him, that guy that can get the ball from point A to point B. Um or you could be like, "Hey, we already have that." Uh we you know, Casemiro is the first actual defensive midfielder that can cover ground that we have had in, I don't even know. He's the first guy that you can legitimately play a four, three, three with where you could probably have Erickson and Bruno ahead of him doing those, you know, ball progression things. And if you can play an actual four, three, three, Donnie Van de Beek becomes an option possibly going at. So you might say, you might say we have guys that can do that or in that ball progression role, that's where we see James Garner or that's where we see Zidane Iqbal in more of that eight shuttler role than that number six holding role. And it's pretty clear they don't see those guys as the number six holders. And James Garner is someone that plays further up the field, in which case, fine, don't sign the perfect partner. Sign, but then you got to sign like a 22, 23 year old who can actually play as that backup to Casemiro, be able to step in when you're playing uh, Bournemouth and Fulham and West Ham and, and give Casemiro cup and league cup. Yeah, and give, but but beyond that, not just the cups, not just the Europa leagues, but a Premier League game here and there too. So like, you know, because remember when you're playing twice a week, just not playing twice, like you know, getting a game off in the cups isn't really a full rest. It's like when you can get a player 10 to 14 days of rest in the middle of the season, that's huge. So sporadic Premier League games too, and and be an understudy to Casemiro so that when Casem and and start to push him out the door, not not next year hopefully, or but like in two years, get that player and then say, well, we'll have as the other two midfielders, we'll have Bruno Fernandez, Christian Eriksen, Donny Van de Beek, James Garner, Zidane Iqbal competing uh, and Fred and McTominay competing for those two spots. So go sign. It's either you got to sign your Frankie Young or you got to go and sign that 23 year old who can be your understudy and step into that role and start to push Casemiro out the door in a year or so. Yeah. Go find our Rodri, you know, the, the guy who's going to come in behind Fernandinho and you're not going to miss a beat. Who's that guy? Is it Rodri? No, he's too old at this point. Yeah, at this point, yeah. We'll find the next Rodri. Like, everybody, everybody's so infatuated by, like, what's here. And you know what? In 10 years, Kevin De Bruyne and Mohamed Salah aren't going to be here, but there are going to be people that sitting at the top of the Premier League scoring charts. There's going to be new, unbelievable people. Go find them before before they get there. They're out there. It's it's like what Pauly said on the last podcast. we got to stop buying resumes. Like, surely... Surely there is a scouting department who is going to find, you know, somebody who can be that next that next big star. So it seemed like we found a couple of them, you know, in the forward position. Obviously, things haven't worked out in those areas. Um, but sure, I, I, I we gotta we gotta start 
finding that player because of course that the the Brighton thing I forget what the player's name was but apparently he was just offered to us for like no money Brighton signed him and now we're interested yeah move on it I mean at this point I feel like United could actually just hire the three of us to be the scouting department and we'd bring forward some better signing ideas we're just gonna watch League Two games. And I just, like, I, actually, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think, I don't think the three of us would be the best for it. Oh, I didn't just, say just, that we would be the best for it. I think that we'd be better than what has been happening. Oh, okay, yeah, fair. Well, yeah. The, the the difference that we would provide is we would just ask the question, how is this any different than what you've been doing? Because what you've been doing clearly isn't working. So how about you try <laughs> something else? Been doing sucks. <laughs> Like we, we, we're just there to be voices of reason because I'm not going to claim to be a scout whatsoever. The last time I played competitive <laughs> football was 14 years ago. Stop um, signing 30 year old strikers. <laughs> yeah. Don't sign people my age. Right. Sign, sign people the age of my interns. Goal score does not mean anything. Yeah. There's no such thing as guaranteed goals. Unless, Unless you're signing Cristiano Ronaldo, Polly. All right, we're going to end on that joke. Polly <laughs> looked like he thought I was serious for a second. Um, <laughs> Don't do not slander me. Um, I can't wait till we sign Lewandowski from Barcelona in three years. What, for $40 million? Yeah. Prove a goal scorer. He still got it at 39, just like when we signed Zlatan. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to end the podcast here. Um We'll be back next week uh, after Southampton. Is the Europa League draw soon? Is that this Friday? Friday. I think Friday. Okay, so we'll know what uh, our group is going to look like as well and which, um, which, teams former from the Eastern Soviet, play. Yeah, which former Soviet states we'll be traveling to. Um, but, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, it was a great match to watch finally this week, and hopefully we get more of that. So uh, we'll see you soon.